Please turn in your Bibles with me tonight to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. <clears throat> and please stand with me as we read the Word of God. We'll begin reading from verse 1. Daniel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Let us hear God's word together. Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand, and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever, let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, Forasmuch as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in, Saint, in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. O thou king, 
The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written, and this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Upharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. You may be seated. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for... <coughs> we thank you, Lord, for your word this evening, the authority and the beauty and the glory of your word. Father, open up our eyes and our understanding. Help me as I share your word, as I preach. Lord, give me grace to honor you, not to say anything that you would have me not to say. And Lord, yet to preach with boldness your truth. Lord, be merciful to us that we might see and believe and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight I want to preach on the handwriting on the wall. The subtitle is The Fall of King Belshazzar. Here is the story of King Belshazzar, or King Belshazzar. He is one of the kings who came after Nebuchadnezzar, probably a grandson or great-grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He is said to be the son of Nabonidus in history. And actually, Nabonidus was still king while Belshazzar was king, but he, they were co-regents together, and Nabonidus was ruling from another place, another or living in another place while Belshazzar ruled in 
Babylon at this time. And the context of this feast is that during this time, actually, Cyrus, the Persian king, is outside the gates with a great army besieging the city, waiting to come in. So we have a party. The chapter starts out with a party or a feast or a banquet. It says in verse 1, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Here we see a drunken party. They weren't being sober and watchful. They weren't being ready as we've been hearing about from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 13. They were being drunken. Maybe Belshazzar did this to unite the different groups within the city so they could be united to fight the battle together. Maybe he did it to while away the time as he waited for the siege to take place, or maybe to show his power and luxury. It is said that Babylon had 20 years of supplies. So he may have been just partying, saying, I don't care about you guys outside. I have plenty, and I can even waste a little. Maybe, in a sense, he was defying the armies outside with his drunken party. Here was a false security. The leadership of Babylon had fallen asleep at the helm, and the day of reckoning had come. This wasn't just a little party that he had with a couple of his friends, but he had it with a thousand of his lords and his princes, these leaders. And we can imagine with all of his wives and his concubines, doesn't give a number, and the servants that were serving, the wine and the food that was there, there were We can imagine the noise, the splendor, the opulence, the festivity, and the merriment, and the pleasure that is going on, sinful pleasure, at this huge feast in the banquet hall of Belshazzar. As he tastes the wine, he commands to bring the golden and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. This is a very important point and one you can't miss. He is, after he starts getting drunk, he sends for the vessels from God's house. Remember, they had taken the people captive. Daniel was one of them, and they had brought them to to Babylon. But with the people, they had brought some of the artifacts, some of the worship instruments, such as vessels, various things, from the house of God. How easy it is to sin when we're under when someone is under the influence and how easy it is to give in to sin. Why did Belshazzar ask for the vessels from God's house? Why didn't he ask for other cups or other bowls or other dishes? I believe pride, blasphemy, defiance of the living God and a dependence on false gods led him to do this as we will see. The devil was behind it. The devil opposes God and his kingdom and his work. The book of Daniel is about God as king and his kingdom. And here we see the devil opposing God's kingdom. Even as Satan entered Judas in the gospel, 
and inspired him to do his dirty work of betraying Christ. Here the devil incites this evil and wicked king to go and get the, the cups from the house of God and to drink out of them. To blaspheme the true and living God. You know, God had prophesied through Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, it was during the reign of Belshazzar. It, he had spoken through Daniel that the, the, the Babylonian Empire would not last forever. That it would end and there would be another kingdom that would come in its place. And that would be the kingdom of Persia. In a sense, Belshazzar, as he sees that kingdom coming to replace him, as he sees them at the gates, in a sense he's defying God and his sovereignty in this. He thought he was invincible and he was soon to be proved wrong. Well, note Belshazzar's sin here. <clears throat> Daniel interprets it, interprets it later, but we'll look at it real quick. Well, we'll look at it first here. First of all, pride. Belshazzar was proud. He did not feel that he needed to answer to anyone. He had all the authority, and he could do what he wanted. And so he thought. He could go and get whatever cups he wanted from whatever place he wanted to drink out of them and do whatever he wanted with his party. Secondly, blasphemy. He desecrated God's holy vessels from God's holy house, used them for a common purpose, and committed an abomination. He dishonored the name of God. Thirdly, idolatry. He worshipped idols. He praised and blessed the names of the gods of silver and gold. And fourthly, he neglected to honor God. The God, Daniel says in verse 23, the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. As Belshazzar is drinking with his lords and with his wives out of these golden vessels from the house of God and worshiping and praising the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone, it says in the same hour, not a different time, but in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand. There's these fingers writing on the wall. Clearly, right over there against the candlestick or the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Here's these hand, this hand writing. In the midst of all of this merriment, a hand appears and writes on the wall. And God enters in and writes on the wall. Of course, we know God doesn't have a hand. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But this is an anthropomorphism. As God reveals something to man, whether he's using an angel's hand or whether he's using, of course, angels don't have hands, but he's revealing a vision to the king and to the party. It's interesting to see what God wrote in the scriptures. God wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone to show their solemnity, to show their importance, to show their holiness. Christ, the Son of God, wrote on the ground 
as the men who accused the adulterous woman went out one by one, being smitten or convicted in their own consciences as he was writing. We don't know what he was writing. Maybe the Ten Commandments. God's writing has power. God's writing has authority. God's writing can convict us. It can smite our consciences. We have his written word right here before us. We don't need writing on the wall. We have the writing right here. And it's actually recorded what God wrote on the wall. (coughs) At this point, the festivities are interrupted. This handwriting had the effect of stopping all of this festivities. The king is scared. He's terrified. He's shocked. He is trembling and anxious. It says that his his knees knocked together, his, his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. We could say they were like, like jello. He was terrified. He doesn't know what to do. One moment before he was full of jokes and full of merriment and full of the life of the party, but now he is scared out of his wits. Maybe his conscience was pricking him. We think that Belshazzar realized that this hand was not from men, but it was from God. Belshazzar was a polytheist. He believed in many gods, but I wonder if he thought maybe this God who put this sign on the wall was the God whose vessels he was drinking out of. If he did, he was right. So Belshazzar calls all of his magicians and wise men, but to no avail. They come and they look at the, at the writing, but they can't read it or interpret it. And here we see the imp- impotence, the weakness, the man cannot interpret God's word or God's providence. The world cannot interpret God's word or God's providence. Don't go to the world, sinful world, to try to ask them, What is God talking to me in his word? What is God saying in my life? Don't ask the world. Go to the word of God and go to the people of the book. Belshazzar could find no answers in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers of his day. So then the queen enters on the scene. We see that in verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. It's commonly believed that this is not his wife because already we've seen that his wives and his concubines were drinking with him at the party. But it's, it's commonly believed that it's probably the queen mother or grandmother which would explain why she would know more about his father Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know for sure, but that's a conjecture of men and commentators. The queen reminds King Belshazzar of Daniel. She says, Daniel, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. 
whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. She reminds him that he does have somebody in his kingdom who has wisdom, who has the, a relationship with God that can enable him to interpret this writing. Nebuchadnezzar had made him a leader. Now Daniel is possibly 80 or 90 years old. Maybe Daniel is retired. I don't know if wise men retired. Or maybe he was sidelined, more likely. You know, new rulers choose new cabinets. They get rid of their old guys. No, you were with the old guy. We do things our way. Make new laws, new constitutions. And they're proud of their newness and their new ideas. But Belshazzar needs to humble himself and go to Daniel for some wisdom. And so he calls in Daniel. But he kind of puts him down at the same time. He says, are you Daniel, who are of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? <coughs> it seems like he's kind of de- demeaning him and belittling him talking about him as a slave, as a captive, which he was, and brought out of Judea. Verse 14, I have heard even of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And so he reminds him that, tells him that the, the wise men could not show the interpretation. But he says, I have heard of thee, verse 16, that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts, Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. So Belshazzar looks at Daniel kind of like a curiosity. The way the world looks at Christians and at godly people, he's like, are you really Daniel? Are you really the one that has all that wisdom and knowledge? Kind of like Herod was so curious to see Jesus Christ. Are you, Jesus, can you do a miracle for me? I want to see what you can do. Godly men are an oddity to the world. But Daniel is not interested in the gifts that Belshazzar offers. These gifts were wonderful gifts. A a cloak of, of scarlet or purple would point to his authority and royalty, A chain of gold would do the same. To be the third ruler after Nabonidus, probably Belshazzar, and then Daniel, would be a position of power and authority, unprecedented in the kingdom, the glorious kingdom of Babylon, the biggest city, the most glorious kingdom at that time. Daniel is not interested in gifts. He says, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. He does not do God's work for money. He doesn't do it for the king. He's doing it for God. And he's not going to take a bribe so that he can make it nicer and more palatable to the king. He also realizes how fleeting and empty these gifts are. The kingdom is almost over. Just one few more hours and Belshazzar will be dead. But Daniel tells Belshazzar what God is saying. What does the handwriting on the wall mean? What does it mean, Belshazzar? 
Well, Daniel doesn't start with the handwriting on the wall. He starts back before that. He starts with the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He starts with history. You know, some of us like math and some like, anybody like math? Um, Some of us like science. Some of us like history. Well, I don't think Belshazzar liked history. If he liked it, he didn't remember it. And he didn't take it seriously. And Daniel is telling him, I need you to have a history lesson now. First, he reminds him of his father, Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 18, he says, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, (coughs) excuse me, and majesty and glory and honor. Nebuchadnezzar was the great king, probably the greatest king of the Babylonians, at least one of them. And he had glory, a kingdom, majesty, and honor. He had absolute dictatorial power. If he wanted to kill somebody, he killed them. If he wanted to keep them alive, he kept them alive. If he wanted them to be promoted to high office, he promoted them. If he wanted to put them down, he put them down. People were scared of him, terrified of him, because of his amazing, all, we could say, autocratic power. However, Daniel reminds Belshazzar that that kingdom was not a kingdom that was obtained by the might, the wisdom, or the riches of Nebuchadnezzar, but it was given to him by Almighty God. That kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had, he says, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom. But he also reminds him that his father was lifted up with pride. His father was proud. In verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened, In pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. The story of that you can read in Daniel chapter 4. It was prophesied through Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar what would happen through a dream and the interpretation of the dream. And then King Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride, looking at Babylon, he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? And God deposes him, puts a sort of a mental illness or mental insanity for a time. For seven times, maybe seven years, seven periods of time, he is wandering about on the ground, eating the grass with his nails growing long and his hair growing out like bird's feathers. And eating the grass like an ox. And it says, Daniel reminds Belshazzar that God did this till, it wasn't forever, till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed it over it whomsoever he will. And you can read that in Daniel chapter 4. At the end, not Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar praises and glorifies the king of heaven. He praises God, who had given him a kingdom, had taken it away, and had given it back. Was he converted? I don't know. But we know that he gave glory to God. He praised God. 
and he acknowledged that God and not himself was the King of kings and Lord of lords. So why is this history lesson, why this tidbit from history? Daniel is contrasting Nebuchadnezzar with his grandson, Belshazzar. Belshazzar's sin is seen clearly here. Nebuchadnezzar bowed to the kingship of God. But Belshazzar refused to do it. He knew about Nebuchadnezzar and his encounter with the living God, but he refused to let it change his life. There are things we know, and we need to take heed to what we know. Things that have have happened in our past, have happened in our, our father's past, have happened in the word, and we've read them. We need to take heed to what we know. Belshazzar had not humbled his heart, though he knew all of this. He says in verse 22, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this, but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. He lifted up himself against the Lord of heaven. Imagine trying to lift yourself up against God. That's what he's doing. He brought the vessels from God's house, drank from them, and he praised the gods of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor hear, nor know. These are helpless, useless, unreal, fake idols, represented, we can say representative of Satan and the demons. And he worshipped them. And it says, And the God in whose hand thy breath is, this is the climax, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. <coughs> God gives us breath. Every morning you wake up and you, you're getting another breath. Your heart is beating. It's actually beating while you're sleeping too. And God is giving you that breath. He's giving you that heartbeat. He's giving you those thoughts in your mind. He's giving you that life surging through your veins. It comes from Him. All your ways are from Him. It's not blaming our sin on God, but it's saying that He is supporting our life at every moment. But He has refused to glorify God, to fear Him or to honor Him and to give him thanks and praise. He has refused to bow to his authority and submit to his lordship and his laws. You see, Belshazzar has more responsibility than Nebuchadnezzar because he knows more. But he refuses to listen. If we go to Romans chapter 1, we can see this. We can see this is the, the state of natural man Man by nature is just like Belshazzar. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Belshazzar had some truth, but he held it. He suppressed it in unrighteousness. He, he, he knew it, but he pushed it down. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Belshazzar is without excuse because he knew that God is God, that he had eternal power and Godhead, though he didn't know all about Jesus Christ and all of the things that we know today. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain, empty in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do you see Belshazzar becoming a fool? And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. He has taken the image of the incorruptible God, and he's worshiping gold and silver, wood and stone. And Daniel says in verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him. That is when God sent the writing. When you had taken those vessels, when you had drunk out of them, when you had praised your gods of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone, when you had not glorified God who's holding your breath and your life together, then was that part of the hand sent from God. So what does the writing mean? Mine, mine, or mini, mini, tikal, ufarsin. I don't know how to say it. <coughs> but the irony of it is that these are symbols of weights and measures used to measure money. In a, as nouns, they could be translated mina, mina. You hear the word mina in the Bible for a measurement of money, shekel and a half of a shekel. In other words, three different measures of money. Like we could say dollar, dollar, cents, right? Money was really his god. What was he worshiping? The gods of gold and of silver, right? Money was his god. He thought he had enough money to defeat the Persians. Money was his downfall. Money represented his demise. In our culture, we make a god of money. We worship our bank accounts, always thinking about inflation and all of that. I'm not saying we can't think about money, but we worship it in our culture, and it will lead to our destruction. Now, Daniel interprets these nouns as verbs. If you take the nouns and I've been told that if you take the nouns and put different vowels with them, I'm not a professional on this, that they will represent these verbs, mene and tikal and fares, numbered, weighed, and divided. Numbered, weighed, and divided. In other words, he's saying numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. First of all, Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Daniel says to Belshazzar, you think that you can last another 20 years. <coughs> you are having a glorious drinking party tonight, but God has decreed that today is the last day of your kingdom. 
It is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the judgment. Are we ready to meet God? We have a date with death. You have a date with death. There is a point with a rebellious sinner who has spurned God's law where God says, I have numbered your days and have finished them. This is what he says to Belshazzar. Secondly, Tekel, you are weighed in the balances, he says, and art found wanting or lacking. God has evaluated your kingdom, Daniel says to Belshazzar. God has evaluated your life. He has, he has summed you up, and he has weighed you, and he has said you are lacking. God is the perfect and omniscient judge of all the earth. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees your heart. God sees your heart, young person. God sees your thoughts. God sees what you think about. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? This should put knocking in every man's knees and boy and girl as we think that God, we will have to stand before him. If you are not in Christ, this should make you tremble. God sees the heart. He sees the inside, the motives. He sees the real you. You can't hide. He knows. Thirdly, Fares. It sounds like the, I believe it's the, the original word, the Aramaic word for Persians but it also refers to being divided. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. God can give the kingdom to whoever he wants. It's not in Belshazzar's hand. It's not in the hand of the gods of gold and of silver, but it's in the king, the, the living God, the king of heaven and earth. And he can take that kingdom and give it to whoever he wants. Matthew Henry says, Mene Tikal Perez may easily be made to signify death, judgment, and hell. At death, the sinner's days are numbered and finished. After death, the judgment, when he will be weighed in the balance and found wanting. And after judgment, the sinner will be cut asunder and given as a prey to the devil and his angels. Solemn and sobering thought. So Daniel has interpreted the writing. Verse 29 kind of is anticlimactic. It's after that you would imagine the king is going to repent. The king is going to say, what can I do to be saved, right? No, the king instead is, keeps on going with the banquet. We can't stop the festivities. Now we're going to give Daniel the the, the, the nice robe, the, the chain of gold, and the proclamation, he's going to be the third ruler. Now we can get back to our, to our bottles, right? Well, Daniel does accept the reward. Daniel didn't accept the reward out of pride or reject it out of fear. I imagine that it would be kind of a, something if you realize that the kingdom is going to end in just a few hours, that the, the, the enemy is at the door, 
you would be a little bit concerned about wearing the, the purple robe and the, the gold necklace and being the third ruler in the kingdom. You would be a prime target, right? But Daniel knows that the God who sent the writing, the God who, who interpreted the writing, is also able to protect him and keep him from any king. Daniel respects God first and the king as well. And Daniel takes the reward. But in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. The Babylon, the, the, the Persians and the Medes, they secretly came into the city and they got the king and won the battle and took the city. God's word was executed swiftly. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old, 62 years old. <coughs> so I want to look at application now. God is king. Here we see the absolute sovereignty of God over all things. Christ, his son, is king of the nations, and every king, president, and prince will give account to him. Today, there are men and women in high places who reject and dishonor and even blaspheme the name of Christ, who one day will bow before him. He will put down those who are proud and exalt themselves against him. If we refuse to give God glory, he will glory in your destruction. This should be terrifying to those who are refusing to give God glory. The second main application is that we see the terrible danger of the sin of pride. The terrible danger, young person, older person, there is a terrible danger here of the sin of pride. When we exalt ourselves against God, we exalt ourselves against the Lord of heaven. When our heart is lifted up as Belshazzar's and not humbled, lifted up against the Lord of heaven, pride is not a little sin. God hates pride. It's a real danger even for a true believer. Peter is a good example for us in this. Remember Peter? He said, Lord... If everybody else denies you, I'm not going to do it. He was so proud, and his pride came before a fall. God keeps his people from the pride of the wicked, but we do and can fall into pride, and we should watch against it. Let us hear a few verses on pride so that we can be reminded of this terrible sin. Psalm 10, verse 4, The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. The pride of his countenance, the pride of his face. His pride is in his face. Proverbs eight thirteen: The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. God hates it, do we? Do we hate it? Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is epitomized. This is pictured in the life 
of Belshazzar. Pride before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. 1 John 2, 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You see that pictured also in, in Daniel and Belshazzar, as the next day there is, there is the funeral, or I don't know what, for Belshazzar. The world passes away, and the lust thereof. The drinking party is gone. The gold and silver, he has no power over it anymore. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Daniel is blessed as he trusts in the Lord. No wonder Paul states in Colossians 3.12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. It's got to start in our minds. The, it started in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, in his heart, in his thoughts, and it came out in his words, and also with Belshazzar the same. This sin of pride led Belshazzar to these other grievous sins of not glorifying the God who made him and upholded him, blasphemy, idolatry, and sensuality. This sin led Satan to try to get to the throne of God. It led Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit and has led us down many, many paths of sin. Pride will destroy a church. Pride will destroy a family. Pride will destroy a home. Pride will destroy a country or a city. Have you sinned like Belshazzar? He ignored previous warnings. God had, had warned him through the life of Nebuchadnezzar. He had warned him through various means, through Daniel. But he ignored these previous warnings. You have had sufficient warning in the word of God. God has given you his word. He's given you faithful fathers and mothers, faithful pastors, faithful preachers. Look at the word. Look at those who have preached it. Look at others who have gone before you and been judged. Do not ignore previous warnings. Belshazzar neglected to glorify God. He said, I'm not glorifying that God. He refused to bow to his lordship and give him the glory. And that resulted in a fatal consequence. And it will every time. Part of the way we can glorify God is by listening to the message. Part of the way we can glorify God is by honoring our parents a child who doesn't honor their parents is showing pride in the heart and showing a rebellious heart even toward God. Thirdly, Belshazzar gave glory to someone or something else. He praised the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Today, we don't have people Normally in America, bowing down to 
images or idols in for the most part, though we have some that do that. But we have people that talk about their lucky stars or thank goodness or people that really worship the almighty dollar as they might think. But anything that gets God's glory and takes the place of God is an idol. And idols are demonic lies because they, they seem so wonderful. They seem so amazing and powerful, but they offer nothing but death. We can make an idol of our own wisdom, our own beauty, our own power, our own strength. <coughs> we can make an idol of our parents, even our country, our church. Are you like Belshazzar? My call is to you to repent before your life is numbered by God and finished. Repent before you are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Repent before your life and all you love and know are divided and given to others. Like the song says, judgment is coming. All will be there. I will, you will, and we all will. Even now, John the Baptist said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Judgment has begun in the house of God. God is working, and God is bringing people, even today, to their own personal judgment. Pride, blasphemy, and idolatry will be punished. Do not hide in your pride, but come to Jesus. Turn from your pride and depend on him and his righteousness today. You know, the, the, the greatest form of pride is to refuse to come to Christ. And I had that pride when I was a young man. I was proud that I was not a hypocrite like other people. But I was just as much a hypocrite. Humble yourself and come to Christ. Say, I need you, Lord Jesus, to humble yourself, to recognize that I need Christ. Pride is what keeps us from Christ. May God give us grace to see the glory and the loveliness of Christ, that he is all-sufficient, that he can save us from the sin of pride. That he can give us that humility that he had and that he wants us to have. That he can change our hearts and make us new from the inside out to grow, not upward in pride, but downward in humility as we see the beauty of Christ in his meekness and lowliness. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Father, we need you. I need you, Lord, to conquer the serpent of pride in our lives. Lord, to give us the sword of the Spirit to slay the, the dragon that comes to raise its ugly head. Lord, give us humility like Christ. Lord, show us our own pride. And I pray for those who have not yet bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Lord, that they would see 
the loveliness of King Jesus. Lord, that they would no longer hold on to their idols or to themselves, that you bless them. Bless our night. Bless each soul here. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please stand with me. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. 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 You may be dismissed.